0: Hello and welcome to episode 56 of the Flip Crazy podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Today, I am going to do a catcher position preview. I know that catcher pr- position previews are the most exciting and interesting things that you can imagine listening to uh, today. But what I will say is that the catcher position does have an opportunity to provide a lot of value and give you a leg up on the competition, especially in uh, like 15 team, two catcher leagues, NFBC style. I think the decisions you make at the catcher position uh, can get you a significant amount of value. Um, So uh, I will cover individual rankings. Uh, I don't find rankings that helpful. So I'll also talk about people in the context of team construction, uh, the different tiers where you may want to look for folks um, who can get you value, uh, that's looking at uh, what their projections are, what the valuation of that is, and then where they're going in drafts. Um, just to kind of try to identify where some guys going um, below where they should be based on what uh, their valuation is and their projection is. So hope you enjoy it. This is the first position preview that I'm doing, so I'm really interested. In getting feedback on what you think about this format. Um, do you like the way that I'm framing uh, the issues? Do you like the way that I'm covering each one of the players? I did not, I don't have time to go as in depth as I do um, on the podcast with the player profiles with each one of the guys here, but I've gotten a glimpse, I've tried to take a look at the context, take a look at the player, take a look at the trends, and figure out where exactly they fit uh, into all of these, uh, all of these catchers. But I really would love to hear your feedback on whether you find the preview helpful. What could I add? What could I take away uh, that would make, uh, make it more enjoyable or more helpful? So definitely keep me posted there. If you like uh, what you're hearing on the preview, if you like what you're hearing on the podcast, please do leave a five-star rating and a review. As I mentioned, from this point forward, folks who do leave a five-star rating and a review, um, I will cover one player uh, that you would like me to cover in an upcoming podcast. Uh, we've got some really interesting ones coming up on the next podcast, uh, including uh, our favorite person to talk about, uh, Adalberto Mondesi. We got Garrett Hampson uh, was recommended as well, and so uh, that should be a, a really interesting podcast. Raphael Devers as well. So those will be the three players that were covered. Um, and if you just like, if you just like what you're hearing, if you like the content. Uh, that I'm putting out, please do give us a five star rating and a review. You can follow me on Twitter at batflipcrazy, Instagram at batflipcrazy, Facebook at batflipcrazyfantasy, YouTube just search for batflipcrazy, and the website is batflipcrazy.com. Uh, All right, let's take a look at the barren landscape that is the catcher position in fantasy baseball in 2019. Let's get this party started. Welcome to the Batflip Crazy Catcher preview episode. Before we start diving into the rankings and discussing some of the uh, possibilities we have for Catcher heading into this year, let's uh let me just give a little bit of an overview of my process. Folks who listen to the podcast regularly know that I'm a big fan of process, and so uh, let me share a little bit about how I came up with the rankings that I'm about to share and more important than the rankings because I'll get to a little spiel about how rankings are are really overrated but is looking at where the values in the drafts are and where you can what are some players that you can um, you can draft uh, who are going to produce some value at the catcher position catcher is obviously uh, you've heard it a lot of times, but it's a wasteland. And so trying to identify areas where there are values, and I think there are a lot of values to be had at the catcher position, and how and thinking about when you draft and how you draft a catcher and how that, how that impacts the way that your team construction happens. Because I think that my biggest thing about rankings is making sure that they are always done in the context of team construction. And after the first couple rounds, and where I'm talking about Roto, uh, r- right here. You know, if you're doing a points league, you can uh, just look at who who generates the most points. But in Roto, you know, after you make your first couple picks, you really need to be keenly aware of, and I mean, even with your first picks, but especially after your first few picks and you start to get a sense of what the foundation is that you're building from. Uh, it's really, really critical to always think about your team construction and how you're build building balance or um, how you're going to win your league as you build out that team. So, in terms of my process for what I did was I created a projection of projections. So, I used Steamer, the Bat, and ATC. Uh, those are three publicly available uh, projections through Fangraphs. So, I took those projections and I essentially just um, uh, combined them. So, I added them together and divided them uh, by three. Nothing too too fancy, but you know, one of the things I think that's really nice about doing a projection of projections is each one of the projection systems, you know, ha- may have some sort of weakness um, or some sort of limitation that makes it prone to missing the value of certain players. And so when you take a projection of projections, uh, in a lot of ways, you're giving yourself every opportunity to kind of address those weaknesses through the other projection systems that are there. And there's been a number of different you know tests about projections and a lot of what they they indicate and obviously you know the method methodology in the context of fantasy isn't always perfect um but is that when you do do a combination or a projection of projections, oftentimes that's your best bet at being being as accurate as possible. You know one thing about projections uh, too, which I think is important to note is you know individual player projections are you know more uh, they're more likely uh, to uh, be off by a lot as compared to using projections to build out your team. So what I mean by that is, you know, if you take uh, player X and you have a projection from all of the different systems, and you, um, you know, if that player gets injured or has a bad season, something happens, and they don't produce the type of value that the projection was expecting, the projection looks like it's very, very wrong. Well, if you take, you know, twenty-three players. Right, or 30 players for your whole roster, and you give them all a projection using the projections that are publicly available and have been tested and are strong, you know, then you know what you get at the end of creating that team, uh, the projection of those 30 players is much more likely to be um, closer to those projections than just looking at one. It's just, you know, it's variance, right? When you only have a sample size of one, a variance is likely to be very high, whereas when you have a sample size of 30, it's likely to be uh, much, much lower. And so that's kind of the, the idea behind both projection of projections, but then also not focusing too much on how a projection system does with the with valuation of a single player, but instead uh, using those projections to see what your team looks like. You know, what, how does it look? You know, when we talk about runs or RBIs or stolen bases, when you aggregate all the projections of the players that are on your team. Anyways, a little bit of a tangent, but I thought I'd just throw that out there. So I create a projection of projections using Steamer, the bat, and, AT- and ATC. Um, and then I generate um, using uh, the SGP automated um, work, uh, worksheet, Excel worksheet that that Tanner Bell put together at Smart Fantasy Baseball, if you want to check that out. I created an SGP uh, standing game point uh, dollar value based on the projections. And I use the bat in creating those just because I find that um, uh, I tend to agree the most with the bat. Uh, some of the other projection systems like steamer is fairly conservative. I think the the bat uh, just in my experience and in some of the tests that I've seen uh, seems to uh, play out really well. So I went with the bat. Uh, ideally, at the end of the season, when I'm doing this, we, I will be able to combine the projections of Steamer, the bat, and ATC into a, a single set of projections, and then using that, be able to generate the SGP. I am not super good at Excel, and so the bat actually leaves out a couple players. It actually leaves out all free agents. They don't currently have projections, and so that really messes with the spreadsheet. When I tried to combine them all and generating the SGPs, and so that's why that's why I just went uh, went with the bat. And I'm basing this off of 15-team two-catcher leagues. And this is really, really critical. Whenever you're doing rankings, whenever you're doing, you know, whenever you're doing player valuations, you really need to think about the context, the league settings. You know, where where does your league give value? With a 15-team two-catcher league, the replacement value for catchers is very, very low, right? You know, the replacement value is catcher number 31. And there's a great article that Jeff Zimmerman put together um, when he was doing his uh, catcher uh, ranking slash just kind of discussion of the catcher position where he highlighted what the, the replacement value is in different league settings. And in 15 team, two catchers, I believe it's 33 runs, seven home runs, 34 RBI, and like a 230 something batting average. So really, really, really bad. If you play in a 10 team league, if you play in a 12 team league, or if you play in a one catcher league, the lower the number of teams and the more catchers or the fewer catchers there are, the higher replacement value is. And so the less valuable the catcher position is. And frankly, if you're in a one catcher league, I would highly suggest just waiting, Uh, just wait and get the, get, you know, the 10th to 15th best catcher that you can, uh, because the difference between them and replacement value is not that significant. So uh, I generated the SGP, uh, the standard gain point uh, uh, auction value or just valuation uh, using uh, using dollars uh, and the BAP. And I did uh, the rank based on these projections, but not solely on the projections, right? I could just input numbers into a system and then run them and then figure out that that was my ranking system. But instead, I took a look at each one of the players that's in the catching pool. So I did a little bit of an individual analysis, um, you know, thought a little bit about context. So you know, is there competition for playing time? How many? How much competition is there? Um, is, how good is the competition, right? Uh, thinking about the team context, where are they likely to bat in the lineup? Things of that nature. And also I thought a lot about risk too because when you get into a position that's as thin as catcher, there is, there's a decent amount of risk in the sense that there are certain guys, and I'll give examples like William Astudio, Um, And even his teammate, Mitch Garver, who, if they get plate appearances, they're going to be very, very good. But they could also get 150 plate appearances for the full season. Um, And if that happens, then they're going to hurt your team a lot. Obviously, you can drop them and pick up somebody else, but you're going to have used whatever pick that you use to get them. Uh, to draft them, and then you're going to have to you're going to have to drop them. So there is some risk involved there. Obviously, with replacement value being so low, and just the production and catcher being so low as well, there isn't you know tremendous amount of risk. But you are there is the opportunity cost of missing out on whatever player was going to go at that pick. So for William astudio his ADP is 256 over the last month in NFBC. So at that position, you know you're deciding to take William Astudillo over Jake Bowers over Shinsu Chu, over Max Kepler. And so that's the opportunity cost that you are deciding to, um, to miss out on, you know, if that risk doesn't pay off. So I, took, uh, so I took those projections, I took a look at the uh, some individual analysis, some context, the rolling average graphs to see kind of where their trends were heading. I took into account risk. And so that's where I kind of put together my rankings. And so rankings are just an ordered number of who you, sh- you know, who's best, right? Um, all things being neutral. But things aren't neutral. And so one of the things that I really wanted to get at is try to determine what the value of each pick was. So what I did there is I took ADP, and then I took the, the, the value that I generated using the standard game points uh, methodology. And then I took the standard game point methodology and I turned that into uh, an ADP. And essentially what I did there is I just looked at, I ranked all the players based on their, on their valuation and wherever they were um, in that valuation of all the players in the draft, pitchers and catchers, I gave them that ADP. So for instance, uh, Gary Sanchez, he's a $25 player uh, according to the BAT um, and SGP. So $25 equates to um, a certain ADP. I believe he was the 16th best uh, player um, using uh, that methodology. And so that gave him an ADP of 16. And so there you can see that Gary Sanchez has an ADP of 59. He's the 16th ranked player based on the SGP uh, value, uh, his valuation. And so he's actually 43 places um, you're getting 43 places of value in terms of ADP. But in addition to that, what I did was take a look at, okay, how much is is that ADP worth? And then I what I used to determine value was the difference between um, the standard gain point value, so the value that I'm giving the player in terms of numerical dollars, and what the ADP is um, that he... Um, he, that he should be going at. So in the example of Gary Sanchez, Gary Sanchez was, has an ADP of 59. He's a $25 player. He was the 16th best. um, He had the 16th best value. So that's a 43. um, uh, That's a 40, that's a $21 pick. You know, uh, the 16th pick in the draft is a $21 pick and the adp uh was 43 so the difference between 16 and 59 is 43 and so what that produces is a player of 25 who's going to get you $25 who who at their adp should be a $21 player so at adp of 59 that's a $21 pick but you should be getting $25 of value so that's four or you should be getting $25, so that's $4 of value. I hope that makes sense. So essentially, to distill it really quickly, Gary Sanchez, his ADP is 59. His value is $25. That's what his stats should generate is $25 worth of value. His ADP, though, of 59, that's a $21 pick. So you're essentially going to out-earn where you're drafting him, by four dollars if he hits his projections which are 75 runs 30 home runs 82 rbi and two stolen bases with a 249 batting average so that's how i took a look at uh, at value so uh, that's how we're going to kind of go through the first thing that i'm going to do is go through uh, each of the players one by one after I give you a mini spiel about rankings. And the reason, so I'm not a huge fan of rankings. Rankings in a vacuum, if you play in a points league, uh, rankings are incredibly helpful, right? And a lot of folks play in points leagues, and and that's not, um, this isn't a criticism of points league, it's just that, you know, with points, you are trying to get the most points. That is the sole, that is the only That's the only aspect of a fantasy, of a baseball player's value to you as a fantasy owner is the points that they generate. And so what you should be doing is generating projections and then figuring out with your league settings what, how many points that is, and then ranking people based on points. You'll have to make some changes to it because you know, you don't want to draft four catchers because they're going to get you the most points. You definitely won't be drafting four catchers if you're looking for the most points. Um, you know, and so there is some, some um, you do give some credence to, to position, obviously, but you don't have to as much, right? For a, for a while, you can get the player that is going to produce uh, the most for you in terms of fantasy points. But when you're playing Roto, and again, these rankings are 5x5 five five Roto using average, Uh, If you're thinking about doing OBP, you're just going to have to substitute that OBP um, uh, for the batting average or whatever your your context is in your league. And so, you know, rankings in points leagues are more valuable. In Roto, it's really about maximizing your value, right? So a good example would be J.T. Real Muto. J.T. Real Muto is my fourth best catcher, right? I I have him lower than a lot of folks uh, do, He, according to um, uh, uh, the BAT and the SGP uh, formula uh, that Tanner Bell has created, he will generate $18 worth of value with his stats. Now, the challenge with JT Realmuto is he's going at pick 59, which is a $21 pick. And so essentially, he's losing you $3 worth of value. And so he may be the fourth best catcher. He may even be higher than that. I think in most people's he's going to be higher than that. But at ADP of 59, there's no way you should be drafting JT Realmuto because he's not going to get you value at that pick. You could draft Gary Sanchez at that pick and you would be getting $7 more worth of value for pretty much the exact same pick since they have the same ADP. And so that's really why it's important not to just think about rankings, right? You don't want to just be thinking of, "Oh, okay, I want to get I want to get the best catcher." And JT Realmuto is at the top of a lot of rankings, so I'm going to pick JT Realmuto. You know, based on his profile, based on his production in previous years and and really based on the ceiling compared to Gary Sanchez, you know, that is not a good use of the 59th pick in the draft. And that's why I think rankings are overrated is as you draft, the goal in roto is to maximize your value. And whether that's a dollar value or whether it's just a production value, right? You, you know, a, a player who you draft at spot 150 who produces the same as somebody at that you drafted at ABT, ADP of 100 is a more valuable player. He's getting you value. That is a better, better pick. And that's what you're really trying to do is thinking about the catcher position in terms of maximizing uh, the value, the return on the investment that is ADP. And that's what I'm really going to focus on as I go through a lot of this is, you know, putting together a a series of rankings is much easier than thinking about um, where you get value and what are other players' values, right? You can't even think about catcher rankings in in. without thinking about the context of the other positions and which positions and which players you are missing out on, what is their production and what is the value that they're going to bring to you at the position that you are drafting them at. And that I think is what is beautiful about Roto fantasy baseball is you have all of these considerations that you need to think about and, and how do you piece together a team that checks all the boxes, you know. That gets you your runs, that gets you your RBIs, that gets you your home runs, your stolen bases, your batting average, or whatever your categories are, you know. Um, while at the same time maximizing, you know, maximizing the value. Um, and so that is um, that I think is what what is interesting. And, and this is the first time that I'm doing this, and so. What I would love to do is hear feedback from folks. If you find, as I go through players and as I explain these, what did you find helpful or confusing? I'm by no means an expert in doing this. This is the first time that I've generated uh, the type of dollar valuations that I'm using. Um, And this is the first time that I've used this methodology. And really it was, I created a spreadsheet and I started off with a spreadsheet and I was looking at runs, home runs, RBIs, stolen bases and batting average. And then I wanted to figure out, okay, it's like I'm interested in figuring out how much of each category the player will produce that you need to finish number one in that category. So, like in runs in a 15 team league, you know, NFBC, I think it was like 1,114 runs were necessary uh, on average to finish number one in the runs category. So, I want to know with each player what percentage of that total. Am I getting when I add it to my team, so that I have a sense of how close I am to the overall goal? Because I want to get number one in every single category. That's what I'm striving for when I start out, um, and that's how I'm trying to construct uh, and construct my team. And I know people don't won't agree with that approach necessarily, but that's kind of how I think about uh, the approach to the game. So I started off like that, and then I started thinking about okay, well now I'm I'm and now I've got these projections, and I'm thinking about okay, but. Again, you know, it's one of these nuanced things where there's a lot of guys that are grouped together in tiers. And how do you differentiate, you know, the value or how do you differentiate who the better player is? Um, and then how do you also to figure out, okay, but what is what is the value that I'm getting here, right? Why do I want to skip out on JT Real Muto, who's going to lose me money at the position that I'm drafting him at, and instead, you know, wait 100 picks and pick up Buster Posey at ADP of 100, or 150, who's gonna get me $7 worth of value based on the projection that I have. So that's kind of how I put together. It was kind of an intuitive process putting together the spreadsheet that I'm gonna use and going through the rankings. So I'd love to hear your feedback on whether you think that uh, this is helpful. All right, so as I mentioned before too, these rankings are based on 15 team, two catchers. All of the discussion that I'm gonna talk about is based on 15 team, two catchers as the leagues get shallower and they have fewer catchers. So one catcher league replacement value improves and the catcher value, the value of all the catchers really diminishes. So again, if you're in a 10 team league and you're in, and, and you only have one catcher, you know, based on my rankings, the, you know, the worst, you know, if you wait till the very end, you're going to draft Wellington Castillo and you are going to, you know, you may miss out on, you know, a little bit in terms of the the money that he's going to produce, but you're also drafting a player higher up that's more likely to return um, some value. And so that is, you know, in short, something that you should really be thinking about, because I think a lot of players play in 10-team leagues, they play in 12-team leagues, they only have one catcher, and in those situations, the the value of catcher really, really diminishes. All right. Let's, let me just stop talking and let's go through the rankings. Number one, we have Gary Sanchez. He is my number one player. Uh, his, uh, projection uh, of projections is 75 runs, 30 home runs, 82 RBI, two stolen bases with a 249 batting average. And that would generate $25 worth of value. His ADP of 59, that's a $21 pick. And so he is generating $4. He is, he is projected to outproduce where he's going by $4. Now, the thing with Sanchez's um, value is that the batting average right now is, is 249. And he obviously had a terrible season last year. But when you look at the underlying metrics, the contact, the quality of contact that he was making, uh, the plate discipline, it was all pretty steady. There was a there was a there was a shift in the types of batted balls that he was hitting, where he was hitting a lot of balls, a lot of dribblers right into the ground, or a lot of pop ups, and for me that's just a signal that that there's some injury there, and obviously he was injured, he had surgery in the off season, and he also had a BABIP of 197, which I don't think is going to. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen again. And Sanchez previously, you know, the, his worst batting average was in the 270s. And so even the 249 projection for the average, I think there actually may be, you know, I actually think that his average will likely be a little bit better than that because we haven't seen a decrease in the K rate, uh, an increase in the K rate really, we uh, or changes in his contact profile. It's mostly just Babbitt driven based on the batted balls he was hitting. And the the massive difference in those batted balls and the massive difference after he suffered injuries in those batted balls makes me think that that is uh, not something that is going to stay with Sanchez. So he is my number one catcher. Also, drafting him this high up in the draft, you know, his ceiling is so much higher, right? Uh, Would anybody be surprised if he replicated his 2017 season? You know, probably not. Um, and so I think Sanchez is the best pick here. And he's actually somebody that I will draft probably in at least a couple leagues because I think the difference between him and the rest of the field um, is is wide enough. Uh, he's generating you value at that point, the $4, but I think he can generate a lot more, I believe, in the batting average a little bit more. And I also believe if he gets to that plate appearances, the 535, that we're also going to see... Um, you know, the RBI and run, run numbers could be really, really, really nice for him. So Gary Sanchez is my number one catcher. Salvador Perez is my number two catcher, ADP of one Oh five, $20 player based on his projections. Uh, the pick where he's going one Oh five is a $14 pick. So he's generating $6 of value where he's being drafted right now. Uh, Projection for him, 523 plate appearances, 58 runs, 25 home runs, 77 RBIs, one stolen base, and 254 batting average. Now, Perez, I like a lot. Number one, you know, the consistency is very nice. All of the metrics point to the fact that he's not in decline. He had a lower batting average this year than uh, in previous years, but a lot of that was the result of bad luck. If you look at his uh, expected average, I believe it was in the 255 range as it as his batting average has been in that range previously. So that is um that is Salvador Perez. I probably am not going to grab him at this um at his spot though, you know, I I I'm not uh, totally against it based on the value that he's producing. I just think that there are some higher upside uh, guys going at this point in time um you know, like a Michael Conforto for instance you know, who I think could generate a lot more value than just that $6. And so for that reason, I'm probably not going to own Perez in many places. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily blame people, especially if he falls a little bit in terms of his ADP in your draft if you scoop him up. My number three player uh, is a guy that I will be targeting in a lot of places. And he's a guy I like last year because he's really shifted his profile a lot. And the numbers, num- numbers really support that. And that's Yadier Molina. Uh, his ADP is 146. He uh, is a $20 player based on his projections. And the ADP is a $10 uh, spot. That's the value of that draft pick. And so he's generating $10 uh, worth of value. Him and Francisco Cervelli at $10 value are the most valuable picks. Among catchers, based on uh, the numbers that I uh, have run, Uh, 513 plate appearances, 58 runs, 16 home runs, 64 RBI, five stolen bases, and a 271 batting average. That's the projection of projections for Molina. It's a very balanced approach in average leagues. Uh, He is one of the slowest players in baseball, but somehow. Uh, The last couple years, he's produced some stolen bases. I think the five may be a little high, you know, in terms of what what I might project him to, but at the same time, I think that the RBI total and the home run total, and even the batting average total, uh, are a little low. Last year, Molina did bat in the um, 260s, but, you know, his expected batting average was 289. Uh, he did hit 20 home runs last year. His expected home runs, I believe, were 17.7, if my memory serves me correctly. So, you know, the 16 number looks okay for power, but I think, remember, he was also missed time for the DL stint. It is important to monitor Molina for... Um, he got uh, surgery on his knee this offseason, and they said it was minor. It was just to remove um, some debris from the knee, but just important to consider that he's, you know, he's been... Really consistent in terms of his uh, plate appearances over the years, but just something to monitor. So Molina, again, going at an average draft position of 146 generating that $10 of value. He's a great catcher one in my perspective, from a, a value perspective. I covered JT Realmuto, my number four catcher, before ADP of 59 $18 player at a $21 average draft position. So negative $3 in terms of value. I'm going to skip skip over um, uh, Molina or Real Muto. I'm not going to be drafting him. I think his situation does change somewhat in the likelihood uh, that he does get traded depending on where he goes. His projection, 543 plate appearances, 64 runs, 18 home runs, 65 RBIs, and six stolen bases with a 270 batting average. Now, I tweeted about this, but one of my concerns with with Real Muto um, is that last year, he did have a dip in contact, an increase in his strikeout rate. And when you look at his second half, he started hitting a lot more fly balls, but he didn't necessarily show additional power. He wasn't hitting the ball any harder in the air. And so I have questions about whether he can make the shift because it was very clear. I think it was 11% increase in fly ball rate in the second half. And his batting average dipped considerably. He's also not stealing bases. So he's projected for six stolen bases. His stolen bases have gone down for the last three years. And he only had three last year. Now he's still pretty quick in terms of his feet per second based on stat cast data, but again, he's not. He he you know, the stolen bases are heading down. And so the six may be a reasonable projection, but you know, you used to draft him because the stolen bases and the batting average. Uh, were his strong suits. And those are the two most valuable categories um, in 5x5 Roto. Uh, That is no longer the case. I have a lot more questions about his average and stolen bases. And so for that reason, um, I am fading Real Muto a little bit. Again, that may change, right? If he goes to the Braves and he's batting fifth behind Ronald Acuna or Freddie Freeman or, you know, he goes to the Dodgers and he's batting in the heart of that lineup. That obviously changes things a little bit, but obviously with the Marlins, that's going to be a huge, uh, that's a huge hit to his value. Number five, I have uh, Buster Posey. Uh, ADP of one hundred and fifty, valued at seventeen dollars, um, based on his projection, and it's a ten dollar draft pick. So that's seven dollars of value that he would generate. Five hundred thirty-four plate appearances. 61 runs, 11 home runs, 60 RBIs, 4 stolen bases, and a 289 batting average. Now Posey is coming, uh, coming off of season-ending hip surgery, uh, major questions about his health. But the one skill that has remained constant, or the two skills that have remained constant, have been his plate discipline and his batting average. So in OBP leagues, you know, he is, he's gold. Um, in average leagues, I still expect that he's going to hit for a solid average. He makes a ton of contact. He has one of the lowest strikeout rates in baseball. Um, my, I have some, the, the power is the major question for me. It could be that he has this hip surgery and he comes back and he's able to really hit for some power. Um, for me, low double digit home runs, so in the low teens, uh, is, is what I see as kind of the ceiling Uh, more so than the floor. I think there's a distinct possibility you could get single-digit home runs from Posey. But one of the things that I like, and and strategically this may be something to consider, is with the counting stats and power of catchers being being so down, the overall position, is whether you really want to focus on getting some higher batting average catchers. Because a lot of the catchers that other folks are going to get are going to be a huge drag on batting average. And, and that's something that you really need to be thinking about. And so Posey, if you want to employ that strategy, that might be, he might be a really great catcher number one. And I think he's a great catcher number one, $7 worth of value at that, um, at that position. And who knows if he is healthy, if the hip surgery does, um, help him get a little bit more power, if he can get up to like 15 home runs, um, with that two ninety uh, batting average that that's going to be gold, uh, this year. Wilson Contreras is my number six catcher, uh, 144 ADP, $14 of value, uh, or $14 valuation, $10 pick, so $4 worth of value for Wilson Contreras, 482 plate appearances, 56 runs, 15 home runs, 58 RBI, four stolen bases with a 258 padding average. Now, I also tweeted about Contreras because he injured his hamstring in August, And after that point in time, you really could not see a worse batted ball profile or plate skills in baseball. It's very clear that he injured the hamstring and he just could not hit for any power. He couldn't hit the ball in the air. It was just really, really bad. And his batting average plummeted from uh, 279 um, to where it ended in the season, which I can't remember, but I believe it's in the 240s somewhere. So... You know that I think is going. That is suppressing Contreras' price. If you remember last year, he was going, um, you know, around pick 50 after having a uh, an excellent season in 2017. And so he might be a good rebound guy. Where if he's able to maintain health, he's probably going to get a lot of plate appearances um, in the Cubs lineup, uh, both at catcher. They've also played him in the outfield. Um, Previously as well, and so something to consider there. And a fairly balanced profile. I think the batting average could be higher um, than what it is uh, in his projection at two fifty eight. Yasmani Grandal is number seven catcher, one forty nine ADP. He's a four a fifteen dollar player at a ten dollar draft position. So five dollars worth of value for Grandal. So what you notice here is with a lot of these mid range catchers you know, really starting with, I mean, Perez was a six, is, a, is a $6 catcher. Um, so really starting with Perez, but even more so with Molina uh, and, you know, all the way through, you know, uh, catcher number uh, 14 or so, you know, there this is a pretty nice place to get some values and to draft your first catcher. And so, you know, if, if you're not going to go after Sanchez or Real Muto, Uh, or Perez, uh, the 150s to even the uh, mid-250s is a really nice spot for your catcher number one um, and to get some value based on the guys that are there. So Grandal generating $5 worth of value, 470 plate appearances, 58 runs, 22 home runs, 63 RBIs, two stolen bases, and 237 batting average. So Grandal will help you in home runs um he's probably going to help you he's going to help you in counting stats too especially with the brewers that batting average is the major concern though with Grandal as it always is in OBP leagues he's gold uh, but in batting average uh, leagues it's definitely something that you need to consider and think about as you uh, build your team Wilson Ramos is a guy he's he's the number 8 catcher um his ADP is at 138 uh his he's a $9 player and he's an $11 Draft position. And so he's generating negative $2 worth of value. Ramos Ramos is really the guy that, um, among these kind of middle tiers, that I'm staying away from. Uh, The injury history is significant, and you can see that he's only projected for 391 plate appearances. He also has a really, really high ground ball rate, which is going to limit his power. It has helped out with his batting average. Last year, he hit over 300. But you know that's more of uh, of of an anomaly. I think. I think you know, his projection has him more around 265. So even if he you know hits a little bit better than that, the counting stats because of the limited plate appearances at 42 and 52 um, with runs in RBI just aren't aren't what you're going to get. I think from some other guys going in that area. And he's he's also uh, projected for 15 home runs. Uh, and one stolen base so I think you know the major question with Ramos is health Uh, and so you know that's one question as is the batted ball profile and he also has a trend I also tweeted about this Uh, he a lot of metrics are trending down for him like ground ball percentage is trending up k percentage is trending up Um, so that's just something to to be aware of with with Ramos Danny Jansen is my number nine catcher, ADP of 254, uh, $9 player, $3 average draft position. So he's generating $6 uh, worth of value. Uh, I really like Jansen. The more I dig in and look at the numbers, really strong plate discipline, really nice contact. Um, And then the power has been there previously. He showed a little bit of it uh, in his first uh, he had three home runs um or, uh, sorry uh yeah i think he, i think he had three home runs i don't have the numbers in front of me but he he showed some power in limited playing time uh last year and so that's one thing to um think about jansen i mean when you think about the profile that you want from a player in terms of plate discipline and in zone contact uh, jansen's that guy and he's probably going to bat in the middle of the lineup because you know, the Jays don't don't have the strongest lineup in the world, although it could be sneaky good once Vlad Jr. Uh, joins the show. So Jansen is projected for 431 plate appearances, 49 runs, 12 home runs, and 48 RBI with three stolen bases, and a two fifty four batting average. And so he's a good example of why context is so important. If I had been doing this earlier, I would have been worried about how Russell Martin was going to carve into some of his at-bats, but Trading Russell Martin. It's pretty clear that Danny Jansen is the catcher uh, to go to in uh, Toronto. Wellington Castillo is the number ten. Is my number ten catcher? A two sixty seven ADP, eleven dollar player, three dollar ADP cost. Um, and that's $8 worth of value. So you'll notice as the catchers, there's kind of that group around 150 And then the next group is between 250 and 300 There's a number of catchers um, going in this spot, really between you know, my ninth-ranked catcher, starting with Danny Jansen, all the way down to my 18th-ranked catcher, Jan Gomes. Uh, Wellington uh, Castillo. You know Wellington Castillo, again, injuries, the suspension last year, but all of the metrics were pretty much in line with where they'd been Uh, previously he continued to hit the ball hard uh, 6% plus barrel rate Uh, he did everything that he has done there was no concerns in his walk rate or the strikeout rate compared to previous years and so he's a guy who last year was going around pick 150 but because he had a bad season you have an opportunity to pounce and get some value he's going to be a guy uh, that I look at uh, for sure uh, in some drafts, if I miss out initially, maybe on a Yadier Molina or a Buster Posey, one of those guys. His projection, 402 plate appearances, 43 runs, 16 home runs, 49 RBI, and one stolen base with a 249 batting average. Francisco Cervelli is a guy that I'm going to be targeting in a lot of drafts, a 292 ADP, so going very late in drafts. Uh, $12 player, a $2 ADP value. That's $10 worth of value. So he and Yadier Molina are the top two um, picks in terms of value um, for for me um, in my rankings and projections. So 439 plate appearances, 49 runs, 10 home runs, 47 RBI, and 4 stolen bases with a 258 batting average for francisco cervelli now if you think about it uh take a look um you know at at danny jansen his projection is pretty much the same as cervelli's uh with maybe a little bit of uh, loss in batting average uh but you know there's a 50 pick difference between those two so and cervelli's plate skills last year both uh contact and uh, his plate discipline is excellent. So in OBP leagues, I would definitely target him. He also, um, his batted ball quality increased dramatically last year. And so that's really, really exciting there. The one concern I have with Cervelli is that Elias Diaz, his backup is also very, very good. And so I, I worry about his emergence and whether he carves into Cervelli's playing time. Now, if you're in a one-catcher league and you have deep benches, then maybe you can uh, roster both Francisco Cervelli and Elias Diaz, and just have that be a tandem that you play in one-catcher leagues. That is a great, that's great idea if if you have deep benches and it's worth it from a value perspective. Um, but I am a little worried about what he does to Cervelli's uh, Cervelli's production this year. Although at an 80, ADP of 292, the price is really. Uh, really nice. Next up is one of the more uh, controversial uh, catchers uh, heading into 2019, and that's Williams Astudio of the Minnesota Twins. Astudio is a cult hero for many uh, because of both his stature and his insane contact skills. Uh, Projection systems have him pretty low. For instance, the the three combined projection systems have him for 172 one hundred seventy two plate appearances, 19 runs, five home runs, and 22 RBI with one stolen base, and a 287 batting average. So that batting average is really nice. Um, he is, um, you know, based on, uh, he's, he's supposed to have a negative $4 value because the plate appearances are so low, um, and the ADP is a $3 ADP, so he's actually supposed to get you negative seven value. But the thing with Astudio is, if he's able to get 400 plate appearances, I think he jumps up into the fifth or sixth best catcher range. Um, In that scenario, uh, you're looking at numbers that are um, pretty close to, um, you know, Wilson Contreras with a higher batting average. And that is definitely going to play. And so the thing with Astudio is you're banking on the skills, which is very high contact, um, a very high contact rate, pretty much the highest contact rate that you will that you will find. The dude just doesn't uh, strike out, and um, and decent batted balls. And so with Astudio, he's a guy I have him ranked 12th, even though he's getting that negative value because. I think the skills will probably win out. He can also play third base, and I'm not a huge Miguel Sano fan. And so I think there is the possibility that Estudio gets some time at catcher, that he also gets some time at third base, and that in putting that together, he can, he can get 300 to 50 for, uh, 350 to 400 plate appearances, which I think makes him uh, one of the better uh, catchers out there. But there is a significant amount of risk especially spending a pick 267 where there's still some really nice um, players going. I I mentioned when I was covering um, uh, Danny Jansen and Wellington Castillo, you know, there are some really nice uh, outfielders going around uh, that draft position. And so if you are going to get him at a 267 average draft position, you know, that risk, the opportunity cost... um, of making that pick, if it doesn't pan out for you, is is pretty, uh, is pretty is pretty sizable. But I do think the skills will win win out in the end. Uh, the twins just have a, you know, Jason Castro. You'll see him uh, lower down on the list. Uh, Mitch Garver. You'll see him lower down on the list too. They really have three catchers who, if they were to get full time plate appearances, Castro probably being the least valuable followed by Garver and then Astudio, but three guys who can really contribute um, as catchers, and so that's going to be a really interesting battle to see um, how that plays out. Castro obviously coming uh, back from being injured most of last season, and then Garver really turned it on uh, towards the end of the season. The second half showed some really nice skill growth um, that hopefully will be able to uh, continue if he gets enough plate appearances this year. So Astudio, one of the riskier uh, but more fun for sure uh, picks uh, that you can make for your catcher one uh, in most situations. Tucker Barnhart uh, is next. Uh, 281 for the ADP, a $9 value, a $2 ADP, so $7 worth of value. 472 plate appearances, 48 runs, 10 home runs, 48 RBI, and two stolen bases with a 251 batting average. Uh, Barnhart Um, you know, he showed signs last year of being a little bit more than he's been in the past. And he definitely gets the plate appearances to, um, generate those counting stats, but there's nothing really all that appealing about the profile. It's pretty blah. That's not to say he's a bad pick at an ADP of 281. Um, you know, but he, he, I just don't think he has the upside that some of the other guys, um, have that I have ranked ahead of him who are going at a similar ADP. Uh his um Mike Zanino, I have his number 14. Uh Zanino uh $10 value, uh $3 ADP at 257 average draft position, 420 plate appearances, 46 runs, 20 home runs, 56 RBI, one stolen base, and a 213 batting average. I'm probably staying away from Zanino. I do have him ranked as as a as a catcher one. Uh, because he does provide value with those home runs and the counting stats. I think the challenge is going to be that batting average. That is a huge weight, especially if he he contributes 420 plate appearances of a 213 batting average. That's something that you really need to build your team around. And so if you have some average foundation and you're willing to give some of it up in drafting your catcher, I think that's one thing. Uh, For me, it's just not – he's not consistent um, enough. Uh, for me to um, to want to uh, go with him uh, in this position, and what I mean by that is, he, I, I'm not sure that I can count on the production. He's obviously in a new team um, with uh, with the Rays. Um, they gave up a decent amount in Malik Smith to get him, but the production just it's not good enough to merit. Taking that type of risk, if he was a guy who, I thought might be able to provide Salvador Perez type numbers, with that batting average, I think that's one thing. But I don't think that the ceiling is much higher than we've, um, than we've seen in the past. I mean, twenty seventeen was probably um, uh, was probably the ceiling, and he relied on a significant amount of luck. To be able to do that, so I'm staying away from Zanino probably here because the batting average just scares me, and it's a lopsided profile. But you know, if you're if you're short on power or if you believe in Zanino, he's certainly somebody who can produce um, some value for you going here. Francisco Mejia is number fifteen, uh, hundred fifty five ADP, uh, six dollar player, three dollar ADP so generating about $3 worth of value. 319 plate appearances only, 34 runs, 10 home runs, 37 RBI, two stolen bases, a 254 average. Mejia is interesting. Obviously, the skills and prospect pedigree uh, are really, really nice. It'll be interesting if he goes to the Marlins, for instance, in a trade for uh, JT Real Muto, uh, and he has a, a lot more of an opportunity in terms of plate appearances, then I might like the profile... A lot more. I just worry a little bit about Austin Hedges. He had a really nice second half. He produced, and he, um, you know, probably the best stretch uh, in terms of his career, Austin Hedges did. And so, you know, I just think that he and Mejia will probably split plate appearances a little bit too much for them to get much value. But certainly the upside on Mejia, given his pedigree and given some glimpses that he showed in his, um, in his time in, 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 uh, with the Padres last year, uh, he, can definitely, uh, he could definitely rise up. Uh, that's, so that's the top 15 catchers. Gary Sanchez, Salvador Perez, Yadier Molina, JT Realmuto, Buster Posey, Wilson Contreras, Yasmani Grandal, Wilson Ramos, Danny Jansen, Wellington Castillo, Francisco Cervelli, Williams Astudio, Tucker Barnhart, Mike Zanino, and Francisco Mejia. Right after that, number 16, Robinson Chirinos, Houston Astros. He ended up in a perfect and ideal situation for his skill set. He pulls the ball hard and in the air, and the Crawford boxes are a really nice place to pull the ball hard and in the air. 294 ADP right now, $9 player with a $2 average draft position uh, value. Uh, That's $7 worth of value he could generate. But like Zanino... There is a challenge with, you know, that comes along with owning Chirinos, and that is his batting average. He's projected to have a 214 batting average. uh, uh, 364 plate appearances, 45 runs, 16 home runs, 48 RBI, and two um, stolen bases. He's also uh, also got Max Stassi uh, as the backup there, who produced a decent amount last year. I'm not as worried about Stassi because... You know the plate skills are are pretty poor. The contact is really poor for Stassi and Chirinos. Actually, you know he he's got a low batting average. A lot of it is a lot him hitting a lot of fly balls. Um But you know the it's it's a relatively solid profile if you're willing to give up a little bit with the batting average. But again, these are generally guys that I'm going to stay away from in average leagues. Um Both Chirinos and Zanino are much nicer buys in OBP leagues. So something to uh, consider, uh, forty-five runs, sixteen home runs, forty-eight RBI, two stolen bases with that two-fourteen batting average. Jorge Alfaro, um, he is somebody who is going, uh, pretty high up there. Average draft position of two fifty-four, four dollars, uh, four-dollar player, three-dollar average draft position, so one dollar worth of value there. Four hundred two plate appearances, thirty-eight runs. 12 home runs, 43 RBI, two stolen bases, and a .234 batting average um, for the projection. Uh, Alfaro, the one thing that I'll say about Alfaro is I was very interested in his trends towards the end of last season. Um, He was showing a little bit more plate discipline, hitting the ball in the air a little bit more, hitting the ball very, very hard. He's a super high BABIP guy. He's got a BABIP of over 400. Uh, and during his time in the big leagues, and so if you were ever able to put it together, he has a really, really high ceiling, and I think I saw glimpses of that. But it's still such an erratic uh, profile with the very, very low contact rate um, and the really high chase rate that I, I just don't want to pay. You know, it's not a high draft choice at 254 but when i can get a much more stable profile like jansen or wellington castillo or cerbelli at a lower pick then um, i'm gonna do that even though i think the upside for alfaro and some of the signs he showed were super intriguing towards the end of last year number 18 young gomes uh, one pick after alfaro at 255 again Similarly, $4 player, $3 average draft position, $1 worth of value, 313 plate appearances, 34 runs, 11 home runs, 39 RBI, one stolen base, and a 241 batting average. Gomes had his best season offensively um, last year, at least in recent memory, um, where he really uh, started to put it together a little bit more. Um, than he had in previous uh, previous seasons uh, with the Indians. The challenge with Gomes, as it is with his uh, counterpart Kurt Suzuki, is that you know they're both uh, they both shown def- decent skills, um, but the challenge with uh, with them is going to be that they're going to split playing time most likely. Gomes is the better catcher. Uh, from a framing standpoint, at least, and so that's one thing to consider. Uh, Gomes hit uh, two sixty six last year, sixteen home runs, um, and so his best season since two thousand and fourteen. So, and some really nice, um, uh, some really nice trends, uh, increasing contact, backed closer to where he had been earlier in his career. He had a couple, couple years of of really poor contact there, but um, last year was back up. So. You know, Gomes is okay, but again, you're playing a higher price than a lot of these guys going later uh, who are projected to do better than Gomes and who have a little bit less competition in terms of at-bats, and so he's probably a guy I'm not going to go after either. Elias Diaz at number 19, he falls into the Williams Astudio category in the sense that the skills are really nice, and I believe in them. A lot, I just don't necessarily see where the playing time comes from without an injury um, or you know you could see an even time share with Cervelli. Uh, his ADP is 344. Uh, he is projected because of the low plate appearance total, 186 and only 20 runs, 6 home runs, 22 RBI, one stolen base and a 263 batting average. He's projected to generate negative $3 worth of value as a $1 pick, so negative $4 worth of value. But if he gets the plate appearances, I mean, if he were to get the plate appearances that Cervelli is projected to get at 439, uh, I would have him higher than Cervelli because Diaz Show has shown some really nice progress overall as a hitter, particularly with his batted ball quality. Last year, he had... Um, his expected average was in the 290s, um, which is you know, really, really nice, just generating a lot of high babbit, um, really solid batted balls. And so with Diaz, he's a guy that I like. I have him higher up here because if he does slip into some playing time, which is very likely with Francisco Cervelli's injury history and just the catcher position in general, he's a guy who could produce a lot of value. But again... Uh, a risky choice, although at an ADP of 344, it's much less than Astudio. So that's one thing to consider with Diaz. He may be a guy who, you know, you get towards the beginning of the season just to see what how the playing time situation plays out with one of your later picks in the draft. And if it does work out for him, uh, then, you know, that's terrific because I think he'll want to be one of the better catchers. Uh, definitely a top 10 catcher if he gets those types of plate appearances. But um, it it could also be something that, you know, where you have to drop him after a little bit because he's not seeing enough playing time. Tyler Flowers is number 20, uh, 390 uh, ADP, $7 worth of value, a $1 average draft position, so $6 worth of value there. 363 plate appearances, 41 runs, 11 home runs, 42 RBI, one stolen base uh, and a 249 batting average. Um, The only challenge with Flowers is that the Braves did sign Brian McCann. And so trying to figure out how those plate appearances split up, uh, it's probably 50-50. I'm not sure whether they'll um, have Flowers as the weak side of the platoon or whether it'll just be a straight 50-50 swap as the Braves have done previously with Kurt Suzuki. But either way, Flowers has been able to return some value uh, over the last couple years. Um, struggled a little bit with batting average last year, but there's enough in the profile there. We're entering that part of the draft where, you know, if there's like any signs of life, then, um, uh, you know, he might be a guy who who can uh, who, who can contribute at least uh, better than some of the guys lower down on this list. Omar Narvaez is number 21. Um Five dollars worth of value at a one dollar pick, so or five dollar valuation, one dollar pick, four dollars worth of value. Uh, four hundred and eight plate appearances, forty runs, eight home runs, thirty eight RBI, and one stolen base is the projection with a two fifty two batting average. Um, Narvaez is a um, he does not hit the ball super hard. He's more of a contact. Uh, he's more of a contact guy. Uh, more of a batting average guy. Uh, don't necessarily believe in the skills after doing a deep dive um, on him. I do think, though, that the play appearances will be there. The Mariners really don't have another good option at catcher. So the 408 plate appearances may actually be a little bit low. Uh, and so, again, he's a guy who, you know, is it's just not good. <laughs> 40 runs, 8 home runs, 38 RB high uh one stolen base with that 252 average nothing to write home about but as a catcher too you know you're not going to find a lot of guys where there's a lot to write home about and those plate appearances especially with the decent average could be gold. Jonathan Lucroy 324 ADP $4 valuation $1 draft pick $3 worth of value. Projection has him at 387 plate appearances, 41 runs, 7 home runs. Forty one RBI, one stolen base, and a two fifty, 250, two fifty five batting average. Lucroy, you know the the power just to, is gone, um, and I think the one thing about Lucroy is you know he is going to be in an Angels lineup depending on where he bats. That could be, uh, that could be okay. Uh, he's clearly the number one catcher. Think in Anaheim and so the plate appearances will likely be there. I don't the the home runs are not. I, I wouldn't even project him for seven home runs um, at this point in time, especially with only 387 plate appearances. the power just seems like it's uh, totally gone but I do think that he's got the contact skills to be able to provide a decent at least league average batting average and at this point number 22 catcher I think that's all you can really hope for. Kurt Suzuki. Uh, once again, after uh, providing us with a little bit of hope when he initially signed with the Nationals and thinking that he may have, you know, a starting gig for the first time, really, and not an even uh, timeshare, it looks like he may be back in one of those even timeshares with Jan Gomes. But the skills are pretty nice. With, nice with Suzuki, uh, seven dollars worth of value at a three hundred thirty uh, average draft position. That's a one dollar draft pick. That's six dollars worth of value from him. 312 plate appearances, 36 runs, 10 home runs, 42 RBIs, one stolen base, and a 268 batting average. He's a guy that if Gomes gets injured or if he somehow comes out with, you know, two thirds playing time in that situation, again, I don't think that's going to happen because Gomes is the better catcher. Uh, but I think you know Suzuki could provide significant value. Again, he's going to be limited, uh, limited by plate appearances, but on a per plate appearance basis, he's one of the best catchers in the game. Austin Barnes, 300, uh, number 24, 359 ADP, uh, $5 value at a $1 draft position, $4 uh, worth of value generating 350 plate appearances, 40 runs, 8 home runs, 35 RBIs, and 5 stolen bases with a 238 batting average. You know, Barnes was a guy I thought I'd have higher up, but I just kept moving him down and down and down the list. Obviously, in twenty seventeen, he he had a tremendous season. But last year, everything went wrong. He was just beating the ball into the dirt. His dribbler percentage was through the roof. He hit for no power whatsoever, and really seemed like he was overmatched. And there's nothing in the data from last year that told me that that was a fluke. And so I don't. Even, so the power isn't really going to be there. Um, he's got Russell Martin now. Uh, There's rumors that the Dodgers are going to go after JT Realmuto. Even if Barnes is getting, you know, 50% of the plate appearances or slightly more, I still think that there's just limited upside uh, with Barnes. The only thing that gives me a little bit of hope is the the stolen bases and the plate discipline, um, which is solid, but um, just really struggled uh, last year. And I, I see 2017 as being more of the anomaly than uh, 2018 based on uh, the underlying metrics. So he's down on the list for me. Number 25, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, 282 ADP. Uh, so one of the highest ADP among you know uh, 20 and below on the list. So $3 worth of value. He's generating a $5 valuation at a $2 pick. 316 plate appearances, 33 runs, four home runs, 28 RBI, and six stolen bases with a 265 batting average. Falefa is pretty similar to like a Jonathan Lucroy in some ways with a little bit more speed. Uh, The question is going to be how much he actually um, has a chance to play uh, catcher. Um, And third base with Asdrubal Cabrera just signing with the Rangers. Uh, that's one more place where Falefa can't play. And so maybe he's the backup uh, catcher. I believe Jeff Mathis um, signed with the Rangers and he's a very strong defensive catcher. So they may be going um, that route. Um, if Falefa can uh, get himself into 350 to 400 plate appearances, he can be, you know, uh slightly better than league average uh, catcher. And especially getting you stolen bases at that position is really solid. But You know, there's nothing really to write home about about Falefa, but if he does find his way into more plate appearances or, in a best-case scenario, find himself if Cabrera gets injured, for instance, as the starting third baseman, that's where he's going to generate his value. At the 282 average draft position, though, I just have a really hard time taking that type of risk there. Uh, I'd rather take a risk on Elias Diaz at 344 or even Williams Astudio at 267 because I think Astudio is the much better hitter um, if he's able to get playing time. Chris Iannetta, 26th, four hundred and eight ADP, $5 value or valuation, $1 draft pick, $4 value as a player, 315 plate appearances, 37 runs 11 home runs 38 rbi one stolen base 244 obviously has the benefit of playing in coors field you know everybody was hoping that yasmani grandal was going to be the signing for the rockies and that didn't work out Ionetta does have a pretty solid uh, approach at least from a plate discipline perspective and he's been pretty consistent the last couple years as being slightly better than league average and so ianeta is a guy who You know, if you're just looking for a more stable profile for your catcher, too, you know, he's not he's not a bad guy to have. It's kind of back end. And as an ADP of 408, he's not costing you much uh, there anyways. uh, In OBP leagues, he definitely gets a bump um, as well. So be thinking about that, too, as does Austin Barnes, um, who I talked about uh, at number 24 uh, number 27, Christian Vasquez, ADP of 460, $5 valuation, $1 pick, $4 value. Um, you'll see with a lot of these later guys, you know, if they can just get their head slightly above replacement level, you know, they're going to generate some value because they're going so late in drafts. And so that may be, you know, I think that's, that's going to be what a lot of folks are going to do for their catcher too, is they're just going to wait for one of these guys and get them towards the end of the draft. Uh, ADP of 460, as I mentioned, uh, 350 plate appearances, 37 runs, 5 home runs, 34 RBI, 5 stolen bases, and a 251 batting average. Um, for Vasquez, he got pretty unlucky last year uh, with his batting average. Um, it was in the low 200s when it should have been more, around uh, 240, uh, 250, uh, based on X stats. Uh, Vasquez, obviously, with the Red Sox. Uh, Sandy Leone is also with the Red Sox. As is Blake Sweetheart. Uh, you know Sweetheart getting some uh, plate appearances would be really, really interesting. But Vasquez seems to be the guy. Leone's even worse than he is uh, from a batting uh, perspective. You know, an, an okay batting average. I think the stolen bases are are what you're writing home about right here. But again, just barely uh, above uh, league average, and and not a really high ceiling. Uh, for Vasquez. I think we saw that ceiling um, in 2017. Number 28, a guy who does have some ceiling, Austin Hedges, uh, ADP of 305, a valuation of $4 based on his projection, $1 uh, ADP, $3 value, 313 plate appearances, 32 runs, 14 home runs, 40 RBI, two stolen bases, and a 232 batting average. Hedges, as I mentioned, in the second half, he saw a hit uh, a lot of really nice movement. Uh, his contact rate uh, was increased dramatically. He also saw an increase in um, his hard hit rate and some better plate discipline. He had had really terrible plate discipline um, for a while there. And so that's very, very encouraging. I should actually push him up maybe a little bit further up this list. I think the challenge with hedges is it sounds like the projects want. Padres want to give Francisco Mejia a real shot to be a catcher and see what they have in him, and so I just worry that Hedges at at the most is going to get one out of every two starts, which will limit his value. But if you're looking for power late with maybe slightly better batting average than you'll get with Zanino or Chirinos, I think Hedges uh, you could do a lot worse than Hedges. And if he does find himself in like a two with two thirds of the starts, I think he could be a guy who um, you know, produces Zanino like numbers with maybe a slightly better batting average. And so that would definitely be, um, somebody who can contribute as a catcher to the challenge is that his ADP at three Oh five, you are going to have to pay a little bit more than you would with some of these other slightly better than league average guys. Jason Castro is my catcher. Number 29, 512 ADP, $5 valuation, $1, uh, cost. $4 in terms of his value, uh, 40 runs, 10 home runs, 37 RBI, one stolen base, and a 220 batting average. Castro is a guy who, heading into last year, was on my list as, as a catcher, too, that I really wanted to target. He was going outside the top 30 catchers. He demonstrated a pretty nice approach at the plate. The plate discipline was very solid. Um, the contact was okay. Uh, he was hitting some fly balls. He was hitting the ball a little bit harder. And so, you know, he was a guy who seemed at, at worst about replacement level um, uh, at best, um, slightly better than that. And he was going to get plate appearances. He's projected for 364 plate appearances. The Twins, you know, with Mitch Garver, with Castro, with Williams Astudio, they really have um, a wealth of decent... To good hitting catchers. I actually think that Garver, um, who was my 31st ranked, ranked catcher, um, but you know, he, he's only projected for 215 plate appearances, but 24 runs, 24 RBIs, six home runs. So if you project that out to 400 plate appearances, you know, you're talking about a guy who's giving you 50-10-50 uh, with a decent batting average and some really, really nice growth in skills last year. So you know, it's going to be a really interesting situation. One to monitor with the Twins. It'll be interesting, maybe. You know, Castro is known as a very good defensive catcher, especially from a framing perspective. So it might be interesting to see if the Twins do find a buyer um, for one of their catchers. Maybe they could ship Castro. Um, you know, trade Castro to a team that was in need of a catcher. You know, somebody like maybe the. Oakland A's or something like that that are that are looking for a, uh, you know, who don't have a clear number one catcher. And so you know that's something to monitor if that happens. I think Garver and Astudio's value goes through the roof if they get playing time. Uh, so something to monitor there. Josh Fegley, 70480p. He right now is the catcher number one in Oakland, and that's something. four dollars uh, valuation, one dollar pick. $3 worth of value, 372 plate appearances, 39 runs, 10 home runs, 41 RBI, two stolen bases, and a 224 batting average. So the batting average is going to hurt you as it is for most of the guys down here in the catcher rankings. Um, he is just, he's going to be an interesting guy if he's the number one catcher and he's getting the majority of of time behind the plate. The batting average could hurt you, but you know the contact skills aren't that bad, so I'm not sure... I'm not sure that I buy the really high strikeout rate uh, that he had before, and it's a really solid lineup, really deep lineup, and so Fegley could have some value just based on the plate appearances if he remains catcher number one. I talked about Mitch Garver. He's my catcher number 31. Uh, He's going at an ADP of 360. Um, He is scheduled to lose value, but again, that's because the plate appearance number is so low at 215. He's a guy that if he... It gets named the starter, or even if he's in a timeshare, I think has value um, because of the the offensive skills. And in OBP, he's also a really solid guy. Grayson Griner is the starting catcher for the Tigers, 546 ADP. Uh, Projected for 413 plate appearances, 39 runs, 8 home runs, 39 RBI, 1 stolen base, and a 229 average. I have him down here. He's higher up, I think, on a lot of people's list just because of the plate appearances. But I have major concerns about the batting average. He struggled um, during his uh, his brief time in the majors last year. And, um, you know, the contact rate just did not look... Uh, good at all for Griner, and I didn't see much in the batted ball profile. It looked like he was pretty overmatched, and so I may not be as confident um, as uh, the projections are in what Griner will be able to do. John Hicks is another interesting guy. He has catcher eligibility from last year, but really um, is going to be is probably maybe the backup uh, catcher or um, you know sub for Miggy at first base in some instances. The thing that I worry about with Hicks is. Um, is primarily around the plate appearances and whether he uh, will be able to get those. He is scheduled for 382 uh, plate appearances, 40 runs, 11 home runs, 41 RBI, I should say projected for these totals. And so those would obviously be really nice at the catcher position. I just don't necessarily see a path to playing time uh, beyond backup catcher uh, for Hicks. Um, especially, you know, unless uh, Miggy gets hurt. If Miggy gets hurt, then he gets a, an opportunity right away. But if he, you know, in the current situation, that's pretty much what you're hoping for, I think, um, for him to get value. So uh, I'm going to stay away. I, I wasn't that impressed either last year. After a quick start, uh, he faded down the stretch. Brian McCann, ADP of 412, uh, $1 valuation, $1 uh, value pick. So even... Uh, 267 play disappearances, 29 runs, 10 home runs, 32 RBI, one stolen base, a .226 batting average. So he's pretty much at replacement level, if not uh, below it. And and so are Carson Kelly, James McCann, uh, and Russell Martin. Uh, Again, with all of these guys... And with a lot of these guys towards the back end, a lot of the question will come down to playing time. Are these guys gonna get an opportunity uh, to seize the number one job? Um, Is somebody gonna get injured and open up uh, an opportunity uh, for them to get more plate appearances? And the challenge is always with you don't want to have one of these terrible catchers kind of sitting on your bench, right? Waiting for something to happen. And so you don't necessarily have the ability to hold on to them for so long. So definitely monitor spring training, uh, monitor local beat writers, figure out what they're saying about how the playing time situation is going to uh, work out. Because I think catcher, like many positions, but I think even more so uh, will, this shift, this, this list will shift considerably Based on playing time and injuries that happen between now and the start of the season. All right, so that is the top 37 uh, catchers um, that we just covered. And so uh, I wanted to go outside of just the rankings and kind of give a sense of where some of these, uh, what the most, which catchers are providing the most value at where they're going right now. And so I mentioned Yadier Molina and Francisco Cervelli. Right now, based on their uh, projections, are, uh, look like $10 values. Wellington Castillo is number three at an $8 value, followed by Posey, Barnhart, Zanino, and Chirinos at $7. But remember, Chirinos and Zanino come with that uh, average asterisk of the potential for very low averages that you really need to build your team around. So I would stay away from them. Uh, Perez, Jansen, Flowers, and Suzuki at $6. Grandal at five dollars, Gary Sanchez at four dollars. But again, you know, there's not a huge weakness there. I think the batting average can be much higher than the 249, as we've seen him do before. And if he's healthy, I think he could outperform the 75, 30, and 82 that he has right now. And so, you know, that value, I think, although it's not as high because it's higher up uh, on the draft board, it's harder to find values higher up a lot of the guys that you draft towards the top of the board won't return value and so i think he's a guy that i i feel okay um drafting uh, where he's going right now especially he's the type of guy who if he goes at his adp maybe i don't get him Uh, but if i'm if i'm picking in the mid to late 60s and he falls in my drafts he might be a guy that i that i look to get sanchez Uh, Contreras, narvaez barnes ianeta vasquez castro and Mejia are $4 values, and then it goes down um, from there. If you are looking for uh, folks to get you specific categories, um, from a runs perspective, you know, there's, there's just not a lot of difference between the catchers in a lot of situations, but, you know, from a runs perspective in, uh, for projections, you know, Sanchez at 75, Realmuto, Posey in the low 60s, High, high to mid-50s for Molina, Perez, Grandal, Contreras, and Jansen. You know, uh, for, for a lot of the counting stats, right, the higher up they are in in the standings, obviously um, they're going to be um, uh, much better. Uh, RBIs, uh, Sanchez and Perez really stand out. I wouldn't be su- surprised to see Grandal or Molina move up as well, and then Real Muto with the potential if he does get traded there. From a power perspective, the guys that you're looking at, obviously Sanchez, Perez, Grandal, uh, Zanino, Realmuto, Molina, Castillo, Chirinos, Contreras, all at 15 uh, or more uh, home runs, as is, as is Ramos, Wilson Ramos. Um, from a stolen base perspective, I would not look to, for stolen bases in your in your catcher. If you are looking for stolen bases from your catcher, you're probably doing something wrong. But just in case, Real Muto, Falefa at 6. Barnes and Vasquez are and Molina are projected at 5. Wilson Contreras, Buster Posey, and Francisco Cervelli at 4. All right, and then from a batting average perspective, and again, I think this is a really interesting place to look just because there are some guys, um, you know, lower down who are not going to hurt you as much in batting average. And so that could be the, the factor that, Kind of breaks the tie for you is, you know, hey, I might not be able to project as well as I like this guy's run, RBI, and home run totals, but if I can get a guy with solid batting average, I at least know that I'm not tanking that category and have to build the rest of my team around that. Uh, But from an average perspective, Posey 289, Astudio 287, Molina at 271, Real Muto at 270, Suzuki at 268. Ramos at 266, Diaz at 260, or Falefa at 265, Diaz at 263, but I like his batting average to be much higher than that. I would actually put that probably in the 270 range. Uh, Contreras at 258 and Cervelli uh, at 258. There, so that just gives you a sense from category. Like if you if you do find yourself towards the end of the draft and you're thinking about okay, is there a guy, you know, I'm I'm doing worst in runs. So I want to look at that. You know, again, probably, you know, it's not the best thing to do with the catchers towards the end of the towards the bottom there. But you can look for guys who maybe have higher OBP's or guys um, who are projected to have a higher run total. So that is uh, the ranking slash analysis of the different guys and how they might fit into different type of team. Uh, structures and um, uh, the way that you build uh, your teams, just from a strategy perspective, you know. For me, I, I tend to be a little bit more conservative, I guess, with my catchers. I do not like waiting towards the end. There are some folks who, who you know, just say I'm going to wait towards the end and get you know replacement, slightly better than replacement value players. Uh, for me, uh, I think there's a couple approaches that I'll take. I think if if Gary Sanchez does fall a little bit. Um, I don't mind taking him, um, you know, in the mid-60s, maybe, you know. Even at his average draft position, I can definitely see uh, the reason to take him. And then you could wait. You know, imagine getting Sanchez there and then Cervelli at 292. You're going to have a huge uh, leg up on the competition if you're able to put together uh, a catcher uh, tandem like that. Obviously, you know, there are some really good players going around where Sanchez is going. So it depends on how you're constructing that team early on, what the other players are and what you see as kind of the value proposition. But, you know, that could be one direction I think about going. Um, But for the most part, I think I'm going to be looking to get a catcher in the 150 to 250 range. So when we think about our ranks, uh, Yadier Molina will probably be a primary target of mine. Um, and then uh, I will also look at uh, Wellington Castillo at 267 uh, Grandall and OBP leagues I will definitely be targeting I even think Posey at 150. I think the guys that are going there they have they're producing the most value because the ceiling is a little bit higher, the production is a little bit higher, um, but they're falling uh, they've fallen you know and, and guys like Posey and Contreras have seen much, much higher. Uh, average draft positions in the past so you know I would probably say Molina first Posey second in that area uh, maybe Contreras and Grandal. Uh Wilson Ramos is the guy that I'm staying away from uh, around that ADP he's going ahead of all those guys and I just don't see uh, I don't see the as high of a ceiling uh, from Ramos as I see from some of those guys or as low as a floor because I think Ramos with his injury history um, you know you could see him uh, you could see him get injured uh, pretty quickly, as you could with any of these guys. But I think with his injury history, it, it means something because it's showing up, um, you know, in the projection that we're seeing. Uh, if I don't get a guy in the 150 range, then I'm looking at uh, maybe um, uh, you know, Wellington Castillo at 267. Uh, Astudio potentially, but it just depends on how the rest of my team is going and whether I can take that, uh, that level of risk with my catcher one um uh cervelli is probably going to be a guy that I get a lot uh, that I get in a lot of drafts at the 292 adp you could even go um you know a cervelli and and Suzuki or uh, Ionetta uh, you know if you wanted to go with the very late um you know uh, late late pairing of catchers uh, but you know, I think getting one of those guys, uh, you need to get one of those guys in the 150s and then in that kind of 250 range um, for sure. I don't want to be waiting and getting guys who are going, you know, in the kind of 300 range um, as well. You could also get somebody who's a little bit more solid and pair them with somebody who has a little bit more risk, uh, but more upside, like a Rich, like a Mitch uh, Garver uh, or, um, you know, uh, who am, I, who am I looking for? Not Falefa, because he's, uh, he's too high up. Uh, Elias Diaz. Um, I don't know if I'd go Cervelli and Diaz. Um, you know, in, in a one-catcher league, I'd definitely look at that with a deep bench. But, you know, it, you're kind of setting yourself up for, I think, a low ceiling when you uh, get both, both guys in the uh, catching tandem there. So I wouldn't do that. So maybe Elias Diaz is the guy that you go for that has a little bit more upside. You know, if you get a Castillo like a Castillo and a Diaz or um, a Molina and a Diaz. But what I'll probably try to do, um, and again, a lot depends on what your team looks like and who is left over in your draft because there's going to be such variance in ADP this low in draft. But getting like a Yadier Molina and a Francisco Cervelli at 150 and 300 uh, that would, be, I think, would be a really nice way to set yourself up well um, for catcher. So, what I would do is kind of look at those groups. I think Sanchez is, is alone by himself at the top there, and I do think that he's uh, a decent proposition where he's going. If you don't get a first catcher there, then I think you're looking at the Molina, Posey, Contreras, Grandal uh, grouping at 150, or the Castillo, Cervelli. Um, uh, Group right there, Danny Jansen, uh, even a Tucker Barnhart. You know the ceiling isn't that high, but the floor I think is pretty solid. Um, and then you're you're coupling them with maybe a higher upside guy like Elias Diaz, um, or just getting kind of one of your solid Chris Iannetta types towards the back end of your catchers. All right, so that has been uh, kind of the catcher preview. Uh, again, this is the first time uh, that I'm doing this uh, for the podcast from a preview perspective. A lot of information that I'm obviously cat- covering. Catra is also super, uh, is also super deep um, because you got to go with 30-plus guys because of two catcher leagues. So let me know what you think, whether this made sense, um, whether, what you like, what you don't like about how, um, how, how this preview laid out because I'm planning to do something similar for the other positions um, and so I want to hear whether folks enjoyed it. That's going to wrap us up for episode 56 of the Batfoot Crazy Podcast, our first position preview. As I mentioned in the intro, as I mentioned towards the end of the preview, please do let me know what you think about uh, these previews. It takes a lot of time to, to put all this information together. I love doing it. I love doing the podcast. Um, But I want to do things that are helpful. I want to do things that bring value to folks. And so if the way that I am covering players, if the way that I am talking about value either doesn't make sense, if you have questions about it, if I'm not explaining something well, uh, please do let me know. This type of uh, valuation, using standard game points, all of that stuff is new to me. So I'm learning a lot as I go as well. So if you have any thoughts on that, please do. Uh, let me know. I would greatly appreciate it. Just hit me up on Twitter. You can DM me. You can just reach out to me on Twitter, respond to the podcast when I send it out, whatever it is. Would love to have your feedback because I want to make this these previews helpful uh, and I want to bring value to your fantasy baseball experience. As always, best place to reach me is on Twitter, at BatfootCrazy. Thank you so much for listening. Best of luck with your fantasy baseball research, including your research on catchers. Best of luck on that. Take care and be kind to one another.